We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. If you brought your Bibles, let's grab them and go to Matthew chapter 4. We're in a series uh, called A Call to Die, and what we're doing in this series is we're taking an unfiltered examination of this invitation that Jesus gives to come and follow Him, to be a disciple of Jesus. And the reason I say we're, we're giving, getting an, an unfiltered look at this is because uh, you know we live in a very filtered world, especially if you're in any kind of social media, you know that filters are everywhere, Right? Like some of you are posting pictures of yourself, and let me just kind of drop the bomb on you. Nobody believes that you really look like that, all right? Some, some of you put pictures on uh, Instagram, and you didn't look that good in high school, all right? And, uh, and yet you're putting it in there because you got like 14 filters on there, and it's like your teeth, like they don't look that good. And, uh, and here's, here's what I mean. Like my wife and I took a picture while we were in D.C. a couple of uh, months back, and it was a great picture. There's no re- reason for us to put a filter on it. It was an amazing um, picture of us. It was, uh, <laughs> I have no idea what you're laughing at, that no filters involved whatsoever. Um, actually, there, there might have been the original that's, that's uh, up here as well. Yeah, and, and then, but I like the other version better, much better, all right? Um, so uh, you're not believing that, right? Uh, so we don't believe yours either, okay? So just so we know. But we're, we're looking at this thing and we're taking the filter off. Here's what I think's happened in uh, Christianity is that in an attempt to make Christianity more beautiful, maybe to the world or more palatable to receive, that what we've done is we've kind of put these filters on Christianity to make it look more acceptable to culture and society. And what's happened is, is that when you take what we present in many churches and in many of our understanding of what it means to really follow Jesus, and then you compare it to what Jesus said it means to follow Jesus, they look nothing alike. And we've lost the significance. Like we have a version of Christianity. And by the way, we've laid so many filters on this idea of being a Christian that if I was to ask you in this room, hey, let's get a definition of what it means to be a Christian, that we couldn't find a definition that we would all agree on because there's been so many filters laid on it that that we couldn't agree on what that looks like. And so what's happened in our culture is that we've kind of created this thing where you can be a Christian but not actually follow Jesus. That you can say that you have a relationship with Jesus and that you are saved, but not actually live like you're in a relationship with Jesus. And so we have this version of Christianity to say, hey, we just want you to come in and embrace this thing, but this thing that we're inviting people to embrace looks nothing like the thing that Jesus says come and embrace. And so what I'm praying for as a church is that we can just strip the filters off and say, okay, what is the invitation to follow Jesus? And let's just see what Jesus says it is, because here's what I believe, church. Call me naive. I just think that Jesus' message is enough. Like, he doesn't need us to make him more attractive. He doesn't need us to make him more acceptable to culture and society. He just says, listen, just, just put out there the words that I put out there. That was enough already to change the world, Okay. And so we're going to get to the bottom of this thing and really unpack it. And so Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going uh, to be. And we're going to see this original call. Like when Jesus called his first disciples, like his first followers, I want us to look at this because what we're going to see in this, this is the unfiltered, unedited, unaltered version of what it means to really follow Jesus. So if you want to you know where, where, what, it, what it really is, you got to go back to the beginning, right? You got to go back to the original call. And so that's what we're going to do today. So Matthew chapter 4 um, is where we're going to be. If you're there, say, get after it. Yeah. All right. So while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, uh, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. In other words, he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Same call. And then say immediately. Immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. So, so listen to me. The invitation that we find here is very simple. Like it's not complex, but we make it complicated. There's two words. This is the invitation. Follow me. I mean, this is it. This is the invitation that Jesus gives. This is what it means to, to be a follower of Christ. To, to, to Literally, Jesus says, follow me. Jesus never invited the disciples to pray a prayer. He never told them to be more religious. He never said, hey, put me, tuck me away somewhere in your heart, whatever that looks like. He didn't say, hey, follow these rules and these religious structures so that you can have this spiritual life. No, no, no. The the invitation was follow me. Become a disciple. Follow me. Leave everything and and invest your life, spend your life pursuing me. Listen, his invitation was to be a disciple. Say, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone whose life is fully devoted to Jesus. It means that all of who we are has been fully surrendered to all of who he is. In fact, in the New Testament, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but the New Testament, do you know that the term Christian was only used three times in the whole New Testament? But disciple is used 250 times. The the invitation of Jesus was not come become a Christian because in our culture and society, that can mean a lot of different things, right? But but, but there's no mistaking this. Come and follow me. Come and be a disciple. Well, that's, that's crystal clear. So in the New Testament, here's what you understand. That to be saved... To be saved from your sin, to be rescued, to experience what Jesus has offered on the cross, to be saved is synonymous with being a disciple. So it wasn't like, like what we do is we separate, well, I'm, I'm saved, but I'm really not a follower of Jesus. I don't really follow Jesus with my life. Well, Jesus would say, no, 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 no. The, the invitation to salvation is an invitation to follow me. And in the New Testament church, you never separated those things. To be saved was to follow Jesus. If you weren't following Jesus, then you really weren't saved. You didn't follow Jesus. You become a disciple in order to be saved. You were saved, and in that, you became something different. You became a follower of Jesus. And this is what we're trying to, to re capture it is to acknowledge that you've devoted your life to Jesus as Lord that his his salvation has been received and because of that you're never the same again you have have received this invitation to follow him and you have responded by faith so here's what we're going to do I want to give you four observations about what it means to answer this call to follow Jesus I want to talk about this call to follow Jesus. Four observations here. If you're, you're a note taker, I always encourage you to take notes. And uh, those who love Jesus will, those who don't, won't. And so no pressure from me. But uh, if you're a note taker, I want to give you four observations to write down about this call that Jesus gives to follow him. Number one is this, write this down. This, this call is a call that is initiated by Jesus. This call to follow him is initiated by Jesus. Look, look what happens in the story. You have two sets of brothers. You have Peter and Andrew, and then you have James and John. Both of them were part of the fishing industry with their family, and, and they're there on the shore. They're not looking for Jesus, seeking Jesus, running after Jesus. Jesus shows up on the shore, calls to them, and says, hey, come, follow me. He calls them to this relationship, but he is the one who initiates this call. He is the one who runs after them. They're not running after him. Now, let me give you the cultural backdrop because some of you might might be thinking, okay, that's no big deal. But it is a big deal because what Jesus is doing here in regards to a a rabbi and disciple relationship, he is is flipping things on its head. Here's, Here's what I mean. Discipleship was the centerpiece of Jewish life, being a disciple of a rabbi. So what that simply means is, is that to be a disciple means you become a student of a rabbi, a teacher of the law, and you would devote your life to following that rabbi, following that teacher and their interpretation of God's law. And so this was the aspiration for every Jewish boy at this particular time. Everybody wanted to become what was called in the Hebrew a Talmud. This is a disciple of a rabbi. And and the way this worked is that only the best and the brightest could actually become a disciple of a rabbi. Here's what I mean. 
If, if all kids around the age of five, boys and girls, would go to um, kind of elementary school. It was called uh, Bet uh, Sefer. It was, uh, it was elementary, and that's where each kid would, would, for the next five or six years, would study um, the Torah. They would study the law. They would study the first five books of the Bible. And they would, most of them would memorize the entire first five books of the Bible. But about the, around the age of, of 12, um, the girls were getting ready for, uh, to become wives and, so, and mothers, so they would leave at 12. They would have no more education. They would go and they would be instructed by their mothers on how to keep a home and how to raise kids. And so that's what they would do. And then the boys who had the aptitude, who had the intellectual capacity, they would continue in the education process um, into the next phase, which is called Beth Madrash or Beth Madrash. And they would move on to the next phase of their education. But those who did not have the aptitude or the intellectual capacity, they would go and join the work of their father. They would go and learn the trade of whatever their family business was. That's what they would go do. So only the best and the brightest went to this next phase of education. And they would do this until about the age of 17. And at the age of 17, the aspiration for every single boy who was in this phase of the education process, they wanted to move to the third phase, which is to become a Talmud, a disciple of a rabbi. So when they hit the age of 17, they would take all the things that they've learned, they would observe all of the different rabbis of their region, and they would select a rabbi that they thought, I can be like this rabbi. Like our theological bents are the same, I kind of see life through his perspective, so I want to devote myself to this rabbi. And so they would find their rabbi, approach their rabbi, and they would say to him, I want to become your Talmud, I want to become your disciple. And so this rabbi would say to these aspiring disciples, um, he would say, okay, uh, come hang out with me. He would put them through a series of tests. He would test their character, their integrity. He would find out their intellectual capacity because no respecting rabbi would ever want a disciple that didn't measure up. And so they would put them through all kinds of tests. And at the end of this, that rabbi would either reject that young man as a disciple. And if he was rejected, that means he joined the family business. He went and did the trade of his father. But if he was embraced as a disciple, he would leave his family, leave his friends, everything behind, and he would follow that rabbi until about the age of 30, where he then would become a rabbi. This was the way of life. Now, so why do you go through all of this to help us understand this whole concept of Jesus initiating this relationship? Here's the question. You think about this. Where does Jesus find Peter and Andrew and James and John? They're at work with their father, they're fishing. You know what that tells us about these men? They didn't have the aptitude. They didn't have the intellectual capacity to get to the next phase, whether it was after the first phase or after the second phase. Here's what we know. They could not cut it as disciples. Therefore, they go back and are doing the trade of the fathers. These men were not the brightest, weren't the best. They weren't the chosen. They were the rejected. And Jesus approaches them and says, hey, it is you that I'm choosing to follow me. You are the ones that I'm saying I'm going to change the world with. Jesus doesn't select the all-star squad. He, he, he goes and selects the JVB squad, right? And he goes to these rejects and he says, I'm about to start a movement that's going to change the world, and you're the ones that I'm choosing to follow me. John MacArthur captures this in a way that's astonishing. He really puts it in perspective. He says, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers, they were in Athens. The powerful men were in Rome. He chose men so ordinary it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts, not even a synagogue ruler. Half were fishermen. One was essentially an IRS agent, and one was a former terrorist. Then what's the point? Here's the point. Jesus does not call us because we measure up. Jesus doesn't call us because we have it all together or because we have special gifts or abilities. He doesn't call us because he needs us because of our intellectual capacity and our leadership ability and the fact that, man, if I pick them, I can really get some things done. No, no, no. He chooses us because he is gracious. And he uses the least likely, and he uses those who don't measure up, and he calls those who don't have the special gifts and abilities, and he says, listen, I'm calling you. 
And listen, this should give us, this is the confidence that we have as disciples, that Jesus initiates it, not on the basis of our goodness, but on the basis of his grace. Why does this give us confidence? Here's why. If, if Jesus selects you because of your performance or because of your aptitude, that means it is up to you to perform for him as his disciple. If he selects you because you've accomplished something or because you're, you, you're making it or because you have all of this ability, now it is on you to find a way to perform each and every day. But listen, he doesn't choose us for that. How many of you sometimes feel like a failure as a disciple of Jesus? Okay, thank you. So, so there are days when you're like, man, I stink at this, right? Like I don't, I don't even think Jesus loves me anymore, right? And, and then there are days, what happens? Right? We're out of the park. We nail it. We're like, I'm putting this on repeat because I'm the best disciple Jesus ever chosen, right? <laughs> and so this, this is kind of, so listen, when we fail, we, we, we are crushed under the weight because if it's all about my performance, when I don't perform, guess what? I'm going to be in, in, insecure in my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to be unconfident that he can use me. But, but, but when I nail it, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to become prideful and boastful and arrogant about all of my gifts and abilities. But if I recognize he didn't call me because he needs me, he didn't call me because I was good enough, he called me because of his goodness and his grace, now I can rest in the confidence that I have been chosen by him because of his grace and his mercy alone. This is why Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, he says this, you did not choose me, I chose you. He wants us to remember this wasn't about you getting smart enough and good enough and great enough and for then him to go, okay, I want you in because you chose me, you were smart enough. No, no, he says, I I've, I've chosen you and I've appointed you, listen to this, that you would bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus' point is this has never been about you. The fruit that you're bearing, it's about me. It's about the fact that I've chosen you, not about the fact that you chose me. Listen to this. I want you to hear this statement. Following Jesus has nothing to do with our potential but his power. It has nothing to do with our gifting but his grace. It has nothing to do with our ability to work for him but our availability for him to work through us. And you see this. You see this in the life of the disciples, right? So the disciples in John uh, and Peter in Acts chapter 3 are going to the temple. This is one of my favorite illustrations of how Jesus chooses the dumb and the weak like you and me and does great things with them. So Peter and John are on their way to the temple. And on their way there, there's a, a guy who has been lame. He's, he's kind of uh, in a handicapped position. And he's laying there and he's begging for money. And Peter and John's like, man, silver and gold have we none. But what I give to you, I give freely in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And miraculously, this guy is healed and he stands up and he's celebrating. And everyone knows this man's been in this condition his entire life. And now the crowds have gathered. And they're like, what is going on here? This miracle's amazing. And Peter was very quick to say, listen, no, I did not do this by my own power. But remember Jesus, who just a few days ago was dragged to the streets and beaten and whipped and, cru whipped and crucified and put in a tomb. He's alive and he is resurrected. And it is his power that this man stands healed. And he preaches the gospel. And such crowds gather that the Sanhedrin, the body of religious leaders that had Jesus crucified, they get really unnerved by this because they thought this movement was dead. They call Peter and John into the upper room and begin to scold them and rebuke them. And, and then John and Peter continue to just have this dialogue. These fishermen, these dumb fishermen are causing these brilliant religious leaders to just be dumbfounded because they're like, well, on one hand, the dude is walking. And like, but on the other hand, we thought Jesus was dead. Like, what do we do here? And I love what they said about Peter and John, I find myself in this. He says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, uncommon men, or common men. In other words, these weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. These guys are stupid. They're uneducated. They're common. There's nothing special about them. But notice this. But yet they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love this. Religious leaders are going, man, we are the smartest people in Jerusalem, but we can't even keep up with the reasoning of these men. They're dumb and they're, uh, they're common. There's nothing special. But they've been with Jesus. And that makes all the difference. 
Listen to me, your ability to pursue Jesus as a disciple is dependent upon you understanding that you did not initiate the relationship. That he is everything for you as a follower of Jesus, which leads me to the second observation. The first is it's a call that is initiated by Jesus. The second, it's a call into a relationship with Jesus. It's a call into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus initiates this relationship and with two simple words. The two simple words are follow me. These words literally mean to walk after me. It's this phrase here, follow me, is used 85 times in the New Testament. So, so it's simple, two words, follow me. So what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's saying, listen, I'm not inviting you into learning about me. I'm not asking you to come and study the things that I say. I'm not asking you to uh, come and join just a religious system. I'm asking you to follow me as a person. And this would have reflected very, very clearly to the disciples because of the cultural norm of the day. To be a disciple of a rabbi in Jesus' day was not to merely learn what the rabbi taught, but rather to find your life centered on who the rabbi is. You see, in Jesus' day, if you were to leave everything to follow a rabbi, the end goal was not for you to know what the rabbi knew. It was for you to live like the rabbi lived. It was for you to live in such proximity to your rabbi that you, you, you ate when he ate, what he ate, how he ate, that you were to walk with him down the road. You were walking in such proximity and there was such a relationship that you walked like the rabbi walked. Every part of your life was to be engulfed with this relationship with the rabbi so that the end of your training with him, it wouldn't be that you just knew what he knew, but you would be like him in every way. And this is what Jesus is inviting them into. It's a relationship. Listen to me. Following Jesus doesn't mean that I study about him or I, I think about him or I just memorize scripture or I try to, to find myself working within the religious system. No, following Jesus means that I'm actually following a person. Like I'm in a relationship with him. I was thinking about this this morning. It has nothing to do with my notes, but it does have to do with the sermon. This morning I was thinking through this. I was thinking, think about the Psalm 23 how many of you have heard of Psalm 23? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me aside to still waters. He, he restores my soul. So we know that. So think about the words of this. David gets this, that it's a relationship. Notice what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I'm not in need of anything. He, he leads me beside still waters into green pastures. He restores my soul. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear anything because he's with me and he protects me. He anoints my head with oil. My cup over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of it. And I will dwell where? In the house of a relationship, proximity. So many of us treat Jesus like a subject that we study rather than a person we know. It's like the, the Lord is my instructor. He teaches me how to figure out the things that I need. He tells me four or five principles of how if I can navigate just right, I can find still waters and I can find green pastures. No, 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 no. He's with me. He's leading me. It's a relationship where the water that I need, he's the one who gives it to me. The, the, the grass that I eat, he's the one who provides that for me. There's the security that I need. He is there present. He just doesn't tell me ways that I can find those things. And that's how so many of us pursue Jesus. Jesus is a means to answers that we need to navigate through life rather than the great rabbi we follow or the shepherd that leads us in a relationship with him. And this, this, is, this is what Jesus wants. He says, I want you to come to me, learn from me, walk with me, follow me, not just about me. These disciples would have sat at Jesus' feet. They would have hung on his every word. They would have, have learned how he prayed and tried so hard on their own. I could see Peter and then maybe by themselves trying to pray like Jesus prayed because they wanted to be like him in every way. One of the highest compliments in this particular day and time that you could give a disciple or a rabbi is to say this, you are covered with the dust of your rabbi. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you can go take a bath. What it means is, is that you are walking in such proximity to your rabbi that the dust that he's kicking off from his feet is covering you. The 
question you need to be asking yourself this morning is not, have you memorized things about Jesus? The question is, are you covered with your rabbi's dust? And, and by the way, we will never be men and women who are covered in the rabbi's dust unless we are men and women who are filled with the rabbi's word. The rabbi's spirit doesn't fill and control our lives. We will never be covered in his dust. We will never look like him the way that he desires. Some people tell my son this all the time. They'll say, boy, you are your father's son. Because when you look at him, you know unmistakably who his dad is, right? And there are times where his behavior gets out of line, and my dad will say to him, you are your father's son. What, what, is, my, what is my dad saying in that moment? He's saying, you, you got the dust of your daddy on you. You look just like him because of the relationship. Listen to me, church family. What Jesus desires for us is for us to live in such proximity to him, to pursue him as a person, to be in his presence. So look at me. We need to spend time in worship. This is why we gather. Why do we come in here and sing about Jesus? Because we want to be in the presence of the rabbi. We want to sing the praises of the rabbi. We want to be near him as the people of God, as other brothers and sisters who are pursuing him together. Why do we listen to the preaching of God's word together? It's because we're, we're, we're going to work through and learn who the rabbi is so we can not know about him, so we can know him. Why do we go to life group and get in groups with other disciples of Jesus? Because as we together pursue to know him, this relationship we learn about the rabbi and who he is and draw near to him because we are living in proximity to others who are drawing near to him. Why, why do we have opportunity in our morning time by ourselves alone to pray and at times to fast and to call out before him? It's not because we're checking off the Christian to-do list. It's because we want to be near the rabbi so that his dust can be all over us. Yesterday, we cooked out, and don't think it was anything fancy. We cooked hot dogs on the grill, all right? We, we, we had hot dogs and sausage, and, but I was grilling. It was amazing because I was standing there, and all the smoke was coming out. And I'm, I'm, I promise you, um, I, I swam in the pool, and I took a shower, and I still couldn't get the smoke off of me, right? So don't come after me at the service and be like, you smell, because I probably still have some smoke on me, all right? And the rest of the family, they ate the food, but they didn't smell like the grill. Why? Because I was standing in such proximity to the grill that all the smoke covered me and it, and, it, and, it, and it overwhelmed me with the aroma so that wherever I went, I smelled like a big old barbecue grill. And what's the point? Your spiritual maturity is not measured by how much about Jesus you know. Your spiritual maturity is measured by do you live in such proximity that you have the aroma of Christ that everybody can recognize on you? You see, if you were around me yesterday, it wouldn't take you 30 seconds to know what we had for lunch. The question is, will people around you, they recognize you've been with Jesus. Is the aroma of Christ on you? This is a relationship where our lives are transformed, which leads me to number, number three. Number three, it's a call to abandon everything for Jesus. I want you to go back to the text here, verse 19. Listen to this. And they said to them, and he said to them rather, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, immediately they left their nets and they what? What's the word? And they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they what? And they followed him. Notice the immediate response of these disciples at once, without hesitation. Immediately, they follow him. But they don't just follow him. They left their fishing and their father, and they followed him. I mean, this is massive that we understand what's happening here. See, why is this so important? They left their livelihood and the most significant relationship in their life. What we find here is that these disciples recognized that Jesus was worth leaving those things that was most precious to them in order to follow him. They recognized that he was greater than anything that they could live for. Therefore, they gladly walked away from their careers. They gladly walked away from their family because of what they found in Jesus was something even greater than anything their family could provide or their career could provide. 
They understood that he must take precedent over everything in their life, including their career and their relationships. Listen to me. Jesus demands that he alone be the center of who we are and that we are to follow him and give our full allegiance to him. Y'all remember the story? Maybe some of you do, some of you don't. There's a, there was a guy later on in Matthew. He comes to Jesus and he says, we call him the rich young ruler. He's a very wealthy guy, man of privilege and status. So think about this. Jesus is trying to start this movement. All he's got is a bunch of, you know, reject kind of fishermen and different guys. And so they're moving through. And this guy comes to Jesus, prominent, popular, wealthy. And he's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. What does Jesus do? Jesus looks at the man and says, hey, uh, and he kind of says, what does the law say it takes to be saved? And this man goes through his, his resume and talks about all the things that he accomplished. And then Jesus says, I'll tell you what, there's one thing you lack. Go and get rid of all your possessions and then give them to the poor and then come follow me. The scripture says that that man dropped his head and was very sad and sorrowful and he went away and he didn't follow Jesus because he had much wealth. Now, what is Jesus doing here? And by the way, this is not just about rich people. What Jesus is doing in this moment, he's saying, listen, following me means you have to abandon everything, relinquish everything to me. Every possession, every relationship, everything that you hold dear, everything that you think is most valuable, everything that makes you you, you've got to let go to follow me. And Jesus understood this man loved his money more than he loved the Messiah. And he said, unless you give away the money, you will never be faithful following the Messiah. You say, how do you know this? Because he went away sorrowful because he loved his money more than the Messiah. And I love this. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't look at his disciples and go, that was too harsh. I'm sorry, dude. I'd give away some of your money. 10% would be great. If you, if you want to do that, I just need you on my team. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He just looks at the disciples and says, man, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And he let him go. The question for you is not, do I get to give all my money away to follow Jesus? My question is, is what is it in your life that you love more than Jesus? And would you be willing to abandon that for him? Because he demands that you relinquish all rights to your life. That's what it means for him to be Lord. You can't say Lord Jesus and no Jesus. So the disciples, they left their, their boat, their careers, and they left their, their family, their father to follow Jesus. And let's be honest in this room, most of us won't have to make that decision, right? Like some of us will. I know there are very many people a part of New Beginnings that because you've chosen to follow Jesus, you've been rejected by your family. Some of you become outcasts in your family. Maybe you're the first follower of Jesus, or maybe they were part of a different religion. And to, to become a follower of Jesus, you've kind of been, been thrown aside. And I commend you for that. And I would say to you, be faithful. And let Jesus use you and your commitment to him to be a testimony to your family of how valuable he is. Others of you, you you've may have had to change careers. I know just this week I talked with a gentleman who, who's a follower, he's faithful. God is doing some great things in this man's life in our church and, and God is calling him away from a career he loves to pursue Jesus and the things that he has for him next in life. And I, I love that. But for most of us in here, God's not going to say leave your career or leave your family, but he is going to say surrender your career and surrender your family. He is going to say to you, listen, your family can't be supreme in your life and, and the, the, the things and ambitions you have for your kids and the things of this world cannot be most important to you. You've got to surrender the family to me and lead them a direction that's committed to me. You've got to be willing to let me have control of your career and leverage it for the kingdom. Listen, some of you, you won't have to leave jobs or family, but for some of you families in this room, you know what it means for you to abandon everything? It means that some of your kids aren't going to get picked up on the select team because you've decided as a mom and dad, because we're followers of Jesus, we're going to be committed to his house. And we're going to be devoted. We're not going to let the, the world lead us into things that would pull us away from uh, weekly being devoted to God's people and being in God's house and, and being faithful followers of Jesus. Therefore, we, we're going to see our kids lose opportunities that the world has to offer and maybe even lose some social status ourselves because our friends are going to say, you guys are judging us because we're not making that decision. And there's going to be a cost involved, all for something as small as select sports. Others of you may leave, have to leave your hometown. 
A couple weeks ago, we saw the Adamson family, Miles and Katie, who've been over our college ministry, relocate to Las Vegas. Why? Because God called them to leave the comfort of a place that they love dearly, to go to a place that they're unfamiliar with because they're going to go plant a church in an area where there is no gospel presence. I tell our college students this. Some, some of you, you may end up changing your major and doing something with your life that is far different than what your parents had scripted out for you or what maybe you even thought you would do for your career because God is going to reorient your life around his mission, which means you've got to change the plans that you have been laying out for years of your life. Some of you won't change the direction of your degree plan or your vocation, but what you will do is relocate where that vocation will be played out. Some of you may choose to go into places where there's no church present to leverage your vocation to advance the mission of God. God may call some of you into other parts of the world so that you can take the, 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 the gifting that God's given you with your degree and use it for the kingdom of God in places where Jesus is not present. Some of you high school students and junior high students, you're at a crossroads in your life where some of your friends are going to choose not to pursue Jesus. And for some of you, that means some lonely Friday nights. And that you're going to be on the fringe of your social group and your friend group because your devotion to Jesus is going to cost you. Jesus is worth it. We abandon everything. Some of you in this room will be passed up on promotions and career advance opportunities because you won't compromise your ethics or your conviction, and you will live out your faith. Listen, make no mistake, following Jesus will require us to abandon everything and have it fully surrendered to him, or we will not follow him. And this is the call of Jesus. Listen to this, nothing can be off limits for Jesus. We must pursue everything he calls us to pursue and abandon everything he calls us to abandon. And if we don't do that, we are not disciples of Jesus. The first time I saw this play out in, in like a real-life way, I was in Uganda in 2008, and uh, we were at this... Um, uh, at, at really, actually, we were in, a, in an area that was very unreached, and so we'd go out into some very poor, like, places of destitute, you know, gospel presence is not. And, but the place we stayed was really nice. It was like this, this uh, reservation, this park, uh, game park, and it was nice kind of accommodations. And, and so, but the, the African missionaries that were with us who live in Uganda, um, they, 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 when they... When we go there, they travel with us. And so you have these, these African men sitting there eating dinner with us. But this is a very rare occasion for them. Most of the time, they're sleeping under trees, and they're in remote places, and, and not living in nice, nice places like we were at that week. And there was one particular boy who was about 15 or 16 years old who was a professing Christian. And, and he saw us there, and his heart was stirred, according to him. And he says, I want to I I do what these men are doing. I want to follow and take the gospel, and can I join the ministry? And there's one guy named Faustino. Faustino is like the Apostle Paul of Uganda. He is a God, one of the godliest men I know. It's like when I'm with him, I just feel like I'm going to keep my mouth shut because this is like, like a giant in the faith for me. He has started more churches and to reach more people. I'm talking about this guy might have reached somewhere between five and 600,000 people for Jesus. And we're sitting there, and Faustine is an old man, and uh, he doesn't say much, but when he talks about Jesus, his face lights up, and he is passionate, and he is serious about Jesus. He's gone into places where they kill you if you go into those villages, all because he wants to see his people reached, and he's sitting there. And so one of the men brought this 15 or 16-year-old boy who worked at the resort we were at. Very nice job. To work at this resort means that you get food, clothing, lodging, all of those things. He brings them over. And Faustino never picks his head up. And he says, so you want to follow and do what I do. And he's eating pea soup, by the way, which is amazing in Uganda. And uh, he never, never picks his head up. And the boy says, yes, sir, I want, I want to follow and do what you do. And Faustino says, you have a very nice job and a very nice place. And your, money, your family has a lot of money that you send them. But this is not where I stay and this is not how I live. To do what I do means you've got to leave all of this behind. Are you willing to leave all of this behind? And the boy drops his head and he walks away. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is a story in the Bible. Like, I, 
Like this is, like this really happens. And so I'm literally, and I'm like, what in the world just happened? Like, like this is the rich young ruler. And Faustino never picks his head up. And I just said, Faustino, what just happened? And he just, man, a few words. He just said, he is not willing to follow Jesus. Because to follow Jesus means you have to go wherever Jesus leads. I pray that he is ready one day. I wanted to get saved in that moment. <laughs> Listen to me. We've got to stop following Jesus out of convenience and comfort. And understand, look at me, everything in your life must be fully on the table if you're going to follow him. Which leads me to number four, because this is the end game. It's a call to make disciples of Jesus. It's a call to make disciples of Jesus. Look what he says here. It's very clear. There's no mistaking it. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to become my disciple, and I'm going to tell you the end game before the game even starts. The end game is for you to be my disciples, and you will then go and make disciples, to be disciple-making disciples. So don't miss this. Don't miss this. The very first invitation to the very first disciples was this, follow me, fish for men. Follow me, fishermen. Be a disciple, and then you're going to make disciples. This is what it means to follow Jesus. If you fast forward three years after these men left everything to follow Jesus, the very first words Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. Listen to the very last thing Jesus said to these before he ascended. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't miss this. The very first thing Jesus said to these disciples, follow me and you will be a disciple-making disciple. And at the very in, follow me and go make disciples. Look at me. Making disciples is the essence of what it means to be a disciple. So if you, listen, if you are in here and you say, I am a disciple of Jesus, but you're not making disciples, there's only one of two options. You're either an imposter and you're not a disciple, or you're a Disobedient disciple. Both require repentance and submission. Disciples make disciples. That's what we do. And so for some of us in this room, this is kind of, kind of unnerving for us because we're like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I didn't know that I was supposed to do this. Listen, it, making disciples is not an option for a disciple. Making disciples is the mission of a disciple. So some of you are nervous about this. I want to help you. You're like, I, I don't know, the season of life that I'm in, the excuses we make, right? I just, I'm too busy. I don't have the time to invest. Some of you are not serving. Like in life, can I just say this to you in the words of the Apostle Paul? Look, look at me. Some of you have been around the church long enough that it's time to stop drinking milk and start eating meat. I love you. And others of you, it's time to start feeding the meal. It's time to start feeding others. You're like, I'm just too busy. I can't commit to life group of even being in one or leading one or being in ministry where I'm pouring into others. So let me just help you. If you're too busy to make disciples, your problem is not busyness, it's priorities. It's priorities. You say, well, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Well, let me remind you of a couple of things. First of all, I want you to, I want you to remember there are three phrases. The first is found in Matthew 4. I want you to listen to this first phrase. You've got to remember this if you're going to do this. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says, follow me. Now listen to the next phrase carefully. And I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will be the one to make you into something that you are not right now, but I will do this in you. In other words, you follow me and I'll equip you to do what you cannot do on your own. 
Listen to me, disciple. Jesus never expected us to do this for him, but rather that he would do it in us and then through us. And then the last two phrases are in Matthew 18. First one in verse 18, the second one, Matthew 28 rather, verse 18 and verse 20. Jesus says, the first phrase, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And the next phrase, and I will be with you. How great is that? Jesus says, go make disciples. Follow me and go make disciples. And don't forget, I'm going to make you into this. And by the way, who's the one going to make you into this? The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And by the way, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is the one that's going to be with you every step of the way. So listen to me, believer. It's not about your ability, but his authority. It's not about your power, but his presence. This is the confidence that we have. Can I just confess to you, every Sunday morning, I am anxious and nervous, and I am scared to death to do what I do. I've been doing this for a long time. Can I tell you what's going to happen in my heart when I leave church today? I will second guess everything that I said. I will wrestle with, was I effective? And then Monday morning, my heart will turn to next week and I'll begin to get nervous and anxious because here's what I, I want. I want to become pregnant with the word. I want to be able to come, become pregnant with the world and, 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 word and speak to you, not just Todd's ideas, but something that God has embedded in my heart. One of the reasons I yell all the time, I think. I'm going to give birth today. Tomorrow, I'm going to plead with God, would you... Would you make me pregnant again? And I'm just going to hope and pray with, with fear and trembling that he will. And then when I finish up toward the end of the week, on Saturday I start getting anxious. Saturday night's hard to sleep. I get up really early and I'm pacing the floor because I don't feel adequate to do what God's called me to do in the process of making disciples. But can I tell you, after nearly 20 years of this, God is faithful. When he says, I will make you, and it's my authority, and it's, it's my presence, and I rest in that, he's faithful. Let's remember who's called us to be disciples. Matthew does this. He goes through great lengths. You know in chapter 1 what he does? Leading up to this moment where this Galilean rabbi that is kind of making a name for himself shows up to Peter and Andrew and James and John. There's been this buildup in Matthew. In chapter 1, he says he's the son of Abraham. And he's the son of David. In other words, he's the promised Messiah, the king that God promised to come. And then it says his name is Jesus. He's the savior of the world. And then you get into Matthew chapter 2. Matthew begins to say the wise men, the people who, who mesmerize the world with their wisdom, they come offering gifts and kneel before him. And the shepherds who are rejected, they draw near because he's a shepherd to the weak and the weary. In chapter 3, he is the one who is the greater Adam. When the enemy comes with temptation, he says, no, I'm going to obey my father perfectly. In chapter 4, chapter 3, he is the one that John says is so unbelievable, he's not even worthy to untie his shoes. In chapter 4, he is the light in the darkness. He is the one that calls all men to repentance. Not to mention later on, he is the perfect sacrifice who dies on the cross for our sin. But more than that, he resurrects on the third day, defeating death, defeating hell, defeating the grave, giving us life and victory. Not only that, he is the one who says, I am ascending to my Father. Well, I will sit on his right hand and I will intercede for you and I'm going to send you everything that you need, especially my spirit who's going to dwell inside of you. And make no mistakes, it's going to get dark, it's going to get hard, but I'm with you and don't forget this, I'm coming back and when I come back, I will judge the living and the dead because I am the King of kings and I am the Lord of lords. I am the one calling you. Come, follow me, be my disciple. And when we get that, church, there is no limits to what God can do. God can do more with you. It's as common as you are when you're fully surrendered to him than you could ever dream of. Two words. Come follow me.
Come follow me. I'm initiating this thing. I want you in a relationship. But you got to abandon. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you make disciples. And we're going to turn the world on its head. But it starts with two words. Follow me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I just want to pray over you. And I want to, we're going to leave you this morning with an opportunity to marinate on this. Here are the, the two questions that I have for you. And I'm going to ask you in light of what we heard to wrestle with these two questions. The first question is this. You need to ask yourself, am I a disciple of Jesus? Have I ever responded by faith to the invitation to follow Jesus with my life? The answer is no. Then I want you to know that at any moment you've heard what it means to follow Jesus, you, you can, like the disciples, cry out to God and leave everything to follow him and just say, I, I, I want to pursue you. I want to follow you. If this is what it means to follow you, I am in. I'm going to rest in your saving grace. I'm going to devote myself not to a system, but to you, my Savior. The second question, or for those of you who know your disciples of Jesus, my question is, are you a faithful, obedient disciple of Jesus? Or are there things you're hanging on that are keeping you from living like the disciple that Jesus has called you to be? The answer of this question today is not go out and do more. It's to leave this place recognizing I've just got to go all in, not do more. It's not do, listen to me, it's die. Die to your wants, your desires, your dreams, whatever would keep you from following as a disciple and submit it all to him. Wrestle with that this week and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in truth as you do. Father, I love you and I thank you for these men and women I rejoice in the reality that there will be some that today will turn their heart to you and be saved. And Father, I rejoice in that there will be many in this room who will repent and relinquish control. And God, you, you get the glory because it is your work. God, just help us respond by faith and follow you. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.